0: Almost all the passengers on the tube to Victoria were, like David and his family, on their way to the Remembrance Sunday parade. It was a cold morning, and the men and women all wore black winter coats. Scarves and handbags were also black, or muted brown, the only colour, the bright red poppies everyone wore in their buttonholes. David ushered Sarah and her mother into a carriage. They found two empty wooden benches and sat facing each other. As the tube rattled out of Kenton Station, David looked round him. Everyone seemed sad and sombre, befitting the day. There were relatively few older men. Most of the Great War veterans, like Sarah's father, would be in central London already, preparing for the march past the Cenotaph. David was himself a veteran of the Second War, the brief 1939-40 conflict, the people called the Dunkirk Campaign, or the Jews' War, according to political taste. But David, who had served in Norway, and the other survivors of that defeated, humiliated army, whose retreat from Europe had been followed so quickly by Britain's surrender, did not have a place at the Remembrance Day ceremonies. Nor did the British soldiers who had died in the endless conflicts in India, and now Africa, that had begun since the 1940 peace treaty, Remembrance Day now had a political overtone. Remember the slaughter when Britain and Germany fought in 1914-18. Remember that must never happen again. Britain must remain Germany's ally. It's very cloudy, Sarah's mother said. I hope it isn't going to rain. It'll be all right, Betty, David said reassuringly. The forecast said it would just stay cloudy. Betty nodded. A plump little woman in her sixties, her whole life was focused on caring for Sarah's father, who had had half his face blown off on the Somme in 1916. "'It gets very uncomfortable for Jim marching in the rain,' she said. "'The water drips behind his prosthesis, and, of course, he can't take it off.' Sarah took her mother's hand. Her square face with its strong round chin, her father's chin, looked dignified. Her long, blonde hair curled at the ends, was framed by a modest black hat. Betty smiled at her. The tube halted at a station and more people got on. Sarah turned to David. There's more passengers than usual. People wanting to get a first look at the Queen, I imagine. I hope we managed to find Steve and Irene, all right? Betty said, worrying again. I told them to meet us by the ticket booths at Victoria, Sarah told her. They'll be there, dear. Don't worry. David looked out of the window. He was not looking forward to spending the afternoon with his wife's sister and her husband. Irene was good-natured enough, although she was full of silly ideas and never stopped talking, but David loathed Steve with his mixture of oily charm and arrogance, his black-shirt politics. David would have to try to keep his lip buttoned as usual. The train ground to a jolting halt, just before the mouth of a tunnel. There was a hiss somewhere as brakes engaged. Not today, someone said. These delays are getting worse. It's a disgrace. Outside, David saw the track look down on rows of back-to-back houses of soot-stained London brick. Grey smoke rose from chimneys. Washing was hanging out to dry in the backyards. The streets were empty. A grocer's window, just below them, had a prominent sign in the window. Food stamps taken here. There was a sudden jolt, and the train moved into the tunnel, only to judder to a halt again a few moments later. David saw his own face reflected back from the dark window, his head framed by his bulky dark coat with its wide lapels. A bowler hat hid his short black hair, a few unruly curls just visible. His unlined, regular features made him look younger than thirty-five, deceptively unmarked. He suddenly recalled a childhood memory, his mother's constant refrain to women visitors. "'Isn't he a good-looking boy? Couldn't you just eat him?' Delivered in her sharp Dublin brogue, it had made him squirm with embarrassment. Another memory came unbidden, of when he was seventeen and had won the inter-school's diving cup. He remembered standing on the high board, a sea of faces far below, the board trembling slightly beneath his feet. Two steps forward, and then the dive.